0: Today's society, people want to know what's in it for them. They don't really care what's in it for anybody else. They only want to know what's in it for themselves. And it's one of the reasons why crime is so high, because a criminal who goes out and robs people, he doesn't care about who he's robbing. He only cares about himself. And so selfishness is a part of our society that has caused us to have a lot of trouble in the, in the uh, urban communities of this country and around the world. And one of the things that I tell the students in class, there's two principles that I, that I repeat over and over again because it's so important to recognize because it helps you understand what's going on in, in the world. And the first of those principles is that people never change, only the conveniences of life. And for those who have been in class, they'll recognize that. You know, David killed a man because he wanted a woman. There are other things that happen in the Bible that are equally egregious. Why? Because people are people, whether they're 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years in the future, people have lust and greed and sin in their lives. It's a part of humanity after the fall. And so it's difficult for people to overcome The other truism that I like to say is that nobody ever believes that they are wrong. And I can prove that. Because see, if a person knew they were wrong, the very first thing they do, Brother Joe, is change and be right again. So you're never wrong. For a millisecond, you're in that state of wrongness. But you're right again. And so you always think you're right. We all we all do. I mean who goes around in life saying, I'm wrong about that. But I'm going to take that position because I like being wrong. We don't do that, do we? Well, I want to read a little pericope for you. That's a story from the book of John, chapter six. And it's about a bunch of guys that don't believe they're wrong either. Verse 25 starts to read, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 6.26 of John. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate loaves and had your filth. Now, you hear what Jesus just said? Man, you're not coming here to see blind people healed. You're not even coming here to see lame people walked. You're coming here because you want a McDonald's fry. Can you believe that? It boggles my mind that Jesus is calling them out saying, Man, you just want something to eat. You could care less about your spiritual life. Boy, don't we have a lot of people like that in the world. Pastor Joe, this year for his outreach, didn't have any hot dogs or anything else. And he had more results than when he had a bunch of food. And I tell you something about man's condition. So they asked him, What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? Now, come on. They just saw Him feed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread or whatever it was. I forget the count. Five fish and two loaves. Whatever it was, it surely was not enough to feed 5,000 people. And He healed people and blind people and lame people and sick people all healed. And then He had the nerve to say, well, what are you going to do for us again? So they asked Him, what sign will you give? Our forefathers ate manna. Man, they must have been had food on the brain in the desert. It is written, And he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Well, from now on, give us his bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never go thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. And all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do my will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And it is this will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise them up in the last day, for my Father will come to everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last days. And at this, the Jews began to grumble among themselves because, he said, I am the bread of life that come down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he come down from heaven? You see, the Pharisees knew that they were not wrong. They knew that they were right. Because, remember, everybody knows that they are right. And so when Jesus said something that they knew could not be true, they would not believe Jesus. That's unfortunate. But it's the way people are. It reminds me of my wife. I got a great wife. But her daddy told her when she was sixteen to learn how to drive a car that if you turn the don't do not turn off the air conditioner, it'll ruin the car when you try to start it. So whenever I would shut the car off and I would not turn off the air conditioner my wife would tell me, you have to turn the air conditioner off because if you don't, you ruin the car. I said, so who said, who said that? My daddy said that. So she'd reach over and turn that air conditioner off. Of course, I live in New Orleans and you know it's warm down there. So I want that thing on all the time. you know? And I says, no, that's not true. She said, yes it is. I said, no, it's not true. I said, I'm a master automobile technician. I said, "Hun, when you put the car in the start position, it has an interlock device that will prohibits the accessories from working. So the air conditioner is off every time you start it, and it doesn't come back on until you put it in the on position. It won't hurt it. My daddy said it will hurt it. You better turn it off. You understand? What I, see, this is how people think.
1: My mama said so!
0: The preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. The preacher said so! And you don't know what you're talking about. See, we think like that. We think, I'm not wrong. Everything I know is right. Because we don't believe we're wrong. We don't. I've already demonstrated that philosophically. Because if you knew you was wrong, you would change to right again. Well, life is like that. I have a little sermon illustration here. How many know what that is? This little cube has caused much, much consternation to many of people. You'll notice that my cube, it's very old, by the way. This cube is 30 years old. It's older than most of the people in this room. I did notice that your demographics, brother, is very young. That's good. Reach into the people that will change the world. This cube, though, you'll notice that it's in equilibrium state and imperfection. All the sides are the right color, like it's supposed to be. But I have noticed that this cube is a lot like people. When they're born, they're perfect in God's sight. See, there's no sin. They're they're like they're supposed to be. But what happens is that when we start to grow up and become teenagers, we say, you know what, it's not that important to live a holy life. And you, You know, you change a little bit of your condition of life. So you kind of look like this. But it's not too bad because Sunday I'm going to come back to church and I'm going to pray through and Brother Joe's going to pray for me and I will be back like I'm supposed to be, no foul, no harm. Because, you know, a little bit of sin is not that big of a deal. You know, it's, everyone does it. So the next week, you know, hey, you know, I got a little out of whack last week, but it's no big deal. I could you know, I could still keep control of my sin. And and no one will know at church because, you know, when I get to church, I'll just put those pieces back together and, and let everyone know that I'm in state of righteousness with God. You know, the problem with sin, though, is sometimes... You know, you get out there in the world and you're not paying quite enough attention to what's going on. And you're kind of like this cube right now. You're in state of flux to the point that, by golly, I don't know if I can put that back together anymore. Anyone want to do it for me? See? It's it's a real challenge, you see. Now, here's how I want to represent this. This cube... Can be restored by a variety of means. One method is is that I start peeling off all the little dots and then stick them back where they're realigned. That'll work. Unfortunately, though, when you do that over and over and over again, the little things don't stick too well. The glue gets dirt under them, it gets a little hair under them, and eventually they'll all fall off. You'll be like me, bald. You know? And besides that, you know, if this represents your life, wouldn't it be pretty difficult to start pulling an arm off and relocating it to the other side? It just wouldn't work too well. That's one way you could do it. You can pull the stickers off. The other way you can do it is you can rotate the corner, and you can pop it apart and disassemble it, and then reassemble it the way you're supposed to be. You could do that. That saves the glue. It might break it though. It's kind of you know, especially this one. This is an old one. The other way you could do it is you you could you could use the Nike method. You know what the Nike method is? Just do it. You know, just do it. The third me- fourth, fourth method. Get, lose, lose track. The fourth method of repairing this cube back to perfection is you could go and get the instructions now these are handwritten instructions from a book. So if you'll follow these instructions to the letter of the law, you can restore that cube. You'll notice there are kind of drawings on there, that show you the different ways to do it. Now, when I was your age, you know, young, young, I was had this I got this in seventy nine or eighty. It had to be seventy nine because I was just out of college. And, and a friend of mine had a book, and so I read the book. And these instructions I took out of the book because I'd give him his book back. And I could do the cube at one time in my life in about a minute and 30 seconds. Now, that's not a world record. The world record, we looked it up yesterday. Pastor Joe and I looked it up. It was 22 seconds, 22.9, something like that. You know, there's people who can put this back in condition in about 30 seconds consistently. My fastest time was about a minute and 30 seconds. This morning I did it again because I had to put it back in shape. I didn't want to peel the stickers off. It took me about five minutes using my instructions. But I want you to see something here. If this represents life, then what am I going to put my life back together with? See, the Rubik's Cube is a little less complex than our life. Well, we have the book, by the way. We have the book. This is the book of life. Now, I want to go back to Jesus' story because you can see our condition is in, in life, we get all messed up. I don't care who you are. We get all messed up in life, just like this cube. And we have the book to put us back in shape. We call it the Bible. But I want you to look back to the story of Jesus and the bread of life. The reason why this story has so much power is because in the day of Jesus, when you needed bread, how'd you get it? Well, if you was real wealthy, you would go down to some merchant who was baking bread. But there, there is no jewel. Is it jewel? Is that what it was? There's no jewel. See, where I'm from, you know, we, we had Del Champs and they went out of business, and and now we have Save a Center and we have Rouses and we have Walmart. You got Walmart grocery stores here too. And you have, I saw an Aldi, You know, I like Aldis. We don't have any down where I'm at anymore. They had them in Ohio, but not down south. You know, Aldi's nice and cheap. They got that good stuff, you know, good price. My wife misses Aldi. To make bread back then, you had to grow the grain. You had to go out and thrash it. That's where you walk on it, crunch it all up, and then you throw it up in the air and let the wind blow away the bad stuff and the good stuff falls to the ground. And then you, you grind it up. And after you grind it up, you bake it into a loaf and then you eat it for bread. Now, you have to understand that if you have a drought, you don't have bread. It's not like there's a drought and you import it from Chile. Or China, in this case. You know, we've we, You know, everything we got now is from China. You can't do that because there's no system in place to do that. So what will happen if you don't have bread? You will starve and you might die. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, those words had meaning of reality. No bread, death from starvation. You go over and see pictures of Ethiopia and Sudan, the children that starved to death. This is what happens when you don't have bread. So when Jesus used this expression, it is so powerful because it says, I'm the bread of life, and everyone knew that bread equals living in a alive condition without starvation. We don't appreciate that today because well, you know, we we have all kinds of programs. You know, if you're homeless, you can go get a food kitchen. They didn't have homeless food kitchens back then. You sat on the corner and you begged for a little money and hoped that someone would give you something. The next thing we see about this story is that Jesus said in the latter part of that story, let's look at it, 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise them, raise them up in the last day. And it is written in the prophets, they will, be, they will all be taught by God, and everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Verse 46 no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. And only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which is living bread. And anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, and I give this life. Uh, and I give will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's a pretty good question. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life. Wow! I tell you what, now, Pastor Joe got up here one morning and said, listen, if you don't cut me up as a steak and eat me, you're not going to heaven. You people would all give you'd know he'd finally lost it. You know, you're not sure right now, but you would know at that day, right? What bizarre words Jesus spoke. Now, I'm telling you, if you were there, you would be one of the naysayers. Don't sit there and tell me, oh, I understood what he meant, and I would be one of his disciples. Because after this, a lot of his disciples said, Ooh, this is creepy. I think I'm going to see you later, Jesus. Yes, indeed. We think we're always right. The Pharisees knew they were always right. And because of that, they missed God. Boy, I don't want to miss God because I think I know everything. I'm the first to tell students I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. And when you start to think you know everything, you're delusional. Only God has all knowledge. Well, let's get back to this story. And I'm almost done. So I'm thinking to myself, When I read this passage a long time ago, if Jesus is the bread of life and we are Christians, then what must be the connectivity between Jesus being bread and us being servants of the bread guy? Makes sense, doesn't it? So I thought to myself, you know, bread. You know, what kind of bread do we have? I mean, what's your favorite bread? You know, we have that Wonder Bread. They got Wonder Bread around here? You know, that, that white stuff, I never really cared for that. It's too bland. It's just white, you know. Then you have my all-time favorite is pumpernickel. Do you know what pumpernickel is, Nancy? Oh, you're missing a real treat. Pumpernickel is great. And then I really like rye bread. That raisin bread, though, you can keep the raisins, you know. I just, soon swirl, oh, that's some good stuff. Okay, you get, you get all kinds of bread. Now, let me tell you something. What's the best bread, though? Well, that's true. But, I mean, I'm talking about real, eat tangible, go buy it in the store kind of bread. French bread? What else? Well, who else? Aldi bread? Aldi bread? <laughs> Sounds cheap, brother. French bread. You know, I think you're all wrong, though. I believe you're all wrong, and here's why. The best bread is the fresh, hot, right out of the oven bread. Who said? Sorry. I thought you said French bread, not fresh bread. Is it fresh or French? No, because the French usually are fresh, so, you know. Okay, now, some of you will get that later. Now, my mama and my wife, they're both they they're really good at baking bread. When they bake bread, I'm like a vulture hanging over the oven. Because I want some of that bread that comes out of that oven. And I put some butter on top of it, and it just it melts all over it. And I'm going to open it up and put some more butter on the inside. And it's just melting so fast I can't keep it from running everywhere. Because it's so hot. And then I'm going to take a bite of it and I'm going to burn my mouth. You'd think I'd learn after 40 years of eating bread that way, right? Haven't learned, have I, brother? That's okay. Fresh, hot bread is the best. Now, back to Jesus. If Jesus is the bread... And we are the servants of the bread guy, then what must we be? What's that? Oh, that's true, but take it another step. At the beginning, you're a bread eater, but after you become discipled in how to eat bread, what do you do? You deliver the bread to the world. So that must make all Christians bread truck drivers. You didn't know you used a truck driver for bread? Okay. Now, now, let me tell you something. If I went down to the bakery and I picked up a load of hot, fresh bread and I take it to the store, they would be mighty pleased with me, right? Because they got some real fresh bread and the consumer is going to love it and buy it in greater quantities. However, this is what a lot of Christians do. They come to church. That's the place where they... Pass out the bread. That's the uh, bread truck place, delivery pickup point. You stack that bread in that truck. Oh, great Sunday morning service, boy! We prayed for three hours. We did, didn't we? That's right. And no one died because you had full. You were full of bread. Now, so you load that bread in that truck. Now let me just regress a little bit here and we'll get back to the bread truck. kind of reminds me, any football fans or Chicago White Sox fans? <laughs> 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 you know, now, now. See, what what we got? We got the Bears. Is that what we got in this town? I'm a Steeler fan. I mean, Steelers, I'm a Steeler fan. I lived just outside of Pittsburgh for a number of years when I was a kid. You know, it's amazing to me that if the Bears win, I'm assuming that you would be this way, if the Bears win on Monday morning and you go to work, everyone's excited. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm in New Orleans and we have the Saints and, well, they sometimes are the Aints. But sometimes they're, they're pretty good. Last few years they've been pretty good. Last year they kind of let us down. But that's why I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I've never changed because we've got six rings, okay, six. All right. Why is it that when Christians come to work on Monday, they're not that excited about God? We're more excited about a bunch of guys putting on tight pants, running around, trying to get a pink pig skin across the line. I think that if we are truly servants of the living God, that we would, when we go to work on Monday, we would say, we have fun in church yesterday. I get sick and tired of Christians. I'm going to go work today. Man, no, you had a great time in church yesterday. God met your need. You should tell people. I, I tell you what, now it goes back to the bread truck. The problem is, is that as a bread truck driver, we shove all that bread in there and then next week we go on vacation for a few weeks, and then we go back to the store after it's all turned to mold, and we expect people to like it. We cannot give people moldy bread. And if you want to mold and vegetate as a Christian, I feel sorry for you. Because when you have the best bread in town, and you're handed out to the people who are starving spiritually, you will change lives like you've never seen. Them. Because Jesus was in the business of changing lives. And we are in the business of changing lives. And when you forget that, you are moldy, stale, and nobody wants you. Brother, is that not true? So don't go through life like this. Brothers and sisters, read the book. I'm going to conclude with this. Remember I told you I used to be able to do this in a minute and 30 seconds. Brother Joe and I had this out last night, and I pulled out my instructions. I put these instructions on my computer so I wouldn't lose them. I have had these instructions in my file cabinet for 30 years. And I said to myself, man, I'm going to lose those instructions. So I digitized them, and now I have it on my hard drive, which is backed up by carbonite. So I will never lose my instructions. So I got them out last night, and I had page 4 in position of page 6. And I was scratching my head saying, why does this not work? I said, this should always work. I have done it hundreds of times with my eyes closed almost when I was 30 years younger. So this morning I realized that I had page 6 and 4 reversed. I stapled them this time. So then I give them to Adolfo, he'll be able to do this. And then I did it the first time. It took me about five hours. I was up late last night thinking about it. And then I realized I had a page wrong this morning. And it took me about 30 minutes, and then my cube fell apart. So I had to get the screwdriver out and put it back together. And then the next time I did it, it took me Five minutes. See, when you use the book, life becomes easier and easier and easier. And you don't need screwdrivers to put it back together. Let's all stand. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that You will anoint this congregation, Father, with the vision of seeing the great need of a starving world, a starving Chicago that needs the bread of life and that we have the freshest bread on the planet. In the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing over this congregation to be deliverers of the bread of Jesus to the world that we serve. Hallelujah.